Sometimes going to the grocery store can be chaotic. There doesn't seem to be enough time to check the list, make sure everything is there, search for the best prices, and take the time to make sure you get the best quality meat. So let ButcherBox help you out. Giving you peace of mind, ButcherBox delivers high-quality meat and seafood that you can trust straight to your door. No grocery carts required. Humanely raised, no antibiotics or hormones, 100% grass-fed, free-range, and crate-free, what more can you ask for? What about free shipping, customized box plans, exclusive member deals, recipe inspirations, tips, and tricks? You really can't go wrong with ButcherBox. Sign up at butcherbox.com slash morning cup and get our special deal. ButcherBox is offering our listeners a free for a year offer plus an additional $20 off. Choose salmon, chicken breasts, or steak tips free in every order for a year. Sign up today at butcherbox.com slash morning cup and use code morning cup to choose your free for a year offer plus get $20 off your first order. Hey guys, I have a podcast that I think you'll really enjoy. Proof, the investigative true crime podcast co-hosted by Susan Simpson of Undisclosed and Jacinda Davis of Evil Lives Here is releasing its highly anticipated second season where they investigate the murder of 18-year-old Renee Ramos. The first season, which if you haven't listened to yet, you totally should, saw the release of two Georgia men serving life sentences for murdering their friend, Brian Bowling. And thanks to evidence unearthed by proof, on December 8th, 2022, both Daryl Lee Clark and Kane Joshua Story were finally freed after 25 years behind bars. With that same investigative drive, Susan and Jacinda are on the case again, and this time, they are on the streets of Manteca, California, to find out who really killed Renee Ramos. In proof, murder at the warehouse, you hear how, on June 5th, 2000, Renee's body was found buried beneath a pile of debris inside a new Home Depot building. And how, despite tips hinting at alternate suspects, her boyfriend, 18-year-old Jake Silva, and 33-year-old Ty Lopez were arrested and convicted of her murder. Fans of true crime and investigative series won't want to miss this riveting new season. Follow the case as Susan and Jacinda uncover long-overlooked evidence about what really happened to Renee, by listening to Proof, Murder at the Warehouse, wherever you get your podcasts. There were two more murders 15 miles away. When police arrived, they found the telephones and electricity lines. We have a weird homicide. A scene described by one investigator as reminiscent of a weird... Morning. Cup of murder. The idea of corporal punishment, with more modern eyes, seems completely barbaric and absolutely unnecessary. This, however, was not always the case. On April 22, 1860, a young boy was found dead in the home of his teacher. A teacher who was given permission to teach the, quote, unteachable boy through any means necessary and may or may not have taken it way too far. So if you like your coffee hot but your bones chilled, sit back and start your day with a morning cup of murder. 41-year-old Thomas Hopley was a schoolmaster in Eastbourne, England, running a private boarding school out of his home and educating young minds in the process. He was a relatively wealthy man, one who came from a prominent family, was fairly well off, married, and had two children of his own. 
According to writer Algernon Charles Swinburne, Thomas was a man who expressed utopian educational ideals and who wrote pamphlets on a number of educational topics, such as, quote, lectures on the education of man and instructions on how to, quote, help towards the physical, intellectual and moral elevation of all classes of society. In October of 1859, he was offered £180 a year to teach a boy named Reginald Chanel Chancellor, the son of a master of the Court of Common Pleas, who was, for one reason or another, deemed ineducable. By April of 1860, Thomas was asking Reginald's father if he would allow, quote, severe corporal punishment to obtain compliance, attributing his difficulty in school to a severe stubbornness. Not a strange request for the time period, Thomas was granted permission just two days later, which gave him the full green light to use a skipping rope and a walking stick instead of the traditional cane used to administer corporal punishment. On April 22, 1860, mere days after he began his new, brutal method of teaching, 15-year-old Reginald Chancellor, noted as 13 or 14 in some sources, was found dead inside of his bedroom, completely covered and wearing long stockings over his legs and gloves on his hands. A medical professional and friend of Thomas's came to the home and pronounced the boy dead of natural causes, with Thomas himself suggesting that he died of a heart disease and should be buried immediately. He soon wrote to Reginald's father and requested the body's immediate removal. After viewing his son's body, Reginald's father agreed with Thomas's assessment and agreed to the burial. Despite the fact that Reginald's own family was willing to mourn his death as natural, rumors started to swirl amongst Thomas's servants, who had spent the evening before April 22nd cleaning up the evidence of Reginald's brutal beating. Soon, the boy's older brother, Reverend John Henry Chancellor Jr., arrived in Eastbourne and, very quickly, clocked the inconsistencies between the reports. So much so that he requested a final autopsy before the boy could be buried. Thomas agreed and asked prominent physician Sir Charles Lecoq, an acquaintance of the Chancellor family and an obstetrician to the Queen, to come and examine Reginald's body for a final time. Sir Charles, unlike the previous professional, did not believe the young teen died from heart failure and instead placed all the blame on Thomas Hopley. Given this information, a complete inquest into the death was initiated and his body was taken for another autopsy on April 28th. This time, they found that the boy's body was completely covered in bruises, that his hands and legs were covered in blood underneath those gloves and stockings, and that his thighs were, quote, reduced to a perfect jelly. He even had cuts all over his body, one of which was deep enough that the medical examiner could touch the bone beneath. They also found that all of his organs, including his heart, were in perfect working order at the time of his death meaning the hypothesis of heart failure was completely off base. At the end of the inquiry, the medical examiner changed Reginald's cause of death to a severe beating. It was around this time that a female servant working in the Hopley home, Ellen Fowler, was brought in for questioning and told investigators that she heard Reginald screaming well into the night and only fell abruptly silent after two full hours of beating. She also noted the traces of blood throughout the home, including on a candlestick left outside Reginald's room, and found evidence that his clothing and Thomas's had been washed just before the boy was pronounced dead. 
Other servants backed up her accounts, giving some of their own, and police soon began questioning Thomas's explanation of events the evening of the death. Things like how long he waited to summon a doctor after finding Reginald's body, with an outlandish excuse for his failure to do so, as well as his lame attempt at explaining the blood found on the candlestick and the blister on his hand for which he had no explanation. He drew further suspicion when he asked the journalists present at the inquest not to include the details about corporal punishment in their story, quote, in order to spare the feelings of the deceased family as of my own. Shortly after the inquest, Thomas Hopley was arrested and charged with Reginald's murder. Around the same time, Reginald's father, heartbroken and filled with guilt, died of what the family was calling a broken heart. After a seven-hour preliminary hearing, Thomas Hopley was released on a 2,000-pound bail and went home to his pregnant wife and children to await his impending trial, confident that his methods were sound and that he would be found innocent. So much so that he composed yet another pamphlet titled Facts Bearing on the Death of Reginald Chanel Chancellor, which he intended to publish after the trial. While he justified his actions, the public demanded action and sent hate mail to the educator. His sensational trial officially began on July 23, 1860, and throughout the trial, Thomas described how he reluctantly beat the difficult pupil, crying as he laid down the lashes and hugging him close when the beating was finished. He presented testimonials of past students who described him as kindly and said that he only used corporal punishment in the cases of extreme obstinacy claiming that the beating that killed Reginald, while having an unforeseen consequence, had been a necessary one. When the prosecution took the stand, they not only proved that Reginald's death was 100% at the hands of Thomas Hopley, but showed evidence that the boy's skull cavity contained about 6 to 8 ounces of fluid, something that very likely attributed to his inability to learn, not stubbornness as Thomas had described something a good teacher would be able to take into consideration. Thomas's defense, believing he was insane, never called forth witnesses like Edward Philpott, a student who slept in the room next to Reginald's and never once heard the severe beatings, or Professor John Eric Erickson, who conducted a second autopsy and suggested that Reginald's appearance, the one that led many to believe that he was beaten to death, could have been caused by an undiagnosed blood condition akin to hemophilia. In the end, because of his position as a teacher, Thomas Hopley was convicted of manslaughter rather than murder. He was sentenced to four years of penal servitude and was incarcerated in Portsea and Chatham, all the while believing until the very end that his actions were justified and were his duty as a schoolteacher. As soon as he was released from prison, Thomas once again found himself embroiled in a sensational trial this time for the divorce that his wife, Fanny, had petitioned on the grounds that he was unloving and mistreated her. She claimed that he married her at just 18 years old as an educational experiment, he was 36, and said that he criticized her writing and insisted that their three children should be raised as, quote, second Christ's. That he beat her during her first pregnancy and beat the newborn just days after their birth, causing permanent brain damage. Thomas, of course, denied her claims, said that all his rules were to ensure the well-being of his family, and even showed love letters that Fanny had written to him behind bars to prove that her stories were false. A jury found him guilty of cruelty in July of 1864, 
but suggested that Fanny condoned his treatment and therefore found insufficient grounds for the divorce. The verdict shocked the public and they demanded that Fanny be allowed to leave her marriage to an abusive convicted killer. She left England shortly after the trial and Thomas himself disappeared from the public eye. The case of Reginald Chanel Chancellor became a benchmark for legal change in the United Kingdom and opened up a much-needed discussion on the idea of corporal punishment in schools. A century later, the practice has officially been banned in British schools and R.V. Hopley became the, quote, most quoted case of the 19th century involving the issue of corporal punishment. Reginald's death also entered medical journals when used to discuss adult hydrocephalus with author Samuel Wilkes not only suggesting that this condition made Reginald's ability to learn difficult, but that it made him more susceptible to physical injury, meaning that the beating he received, while still brutal and completely unnecessary, may have not been as deadly to a student without Reginald's pre-existing condition. Thank you for joining me in my morning cup of murder. Please join me again tomorrow to hear what terrible thing happened on April 23rd. Don't forget to rate and subscribe and let me know how you like it. If you want to help support the podcast, there is always Patreon or just sharing it with your true crime obsessed friends. And remember, stay safe.